This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this frosty kind of day. A bit of a nip in the air for certain. And the the snow, or is it grapple, is flying out there. You could hear uh, there was a certain amount of hardness and weight to it as it was hitting the windows outside the newsroom just a short while ago. Well, falls are the leading cause of traumatic brain injury-related deaths, hospitalizations, and ER visits for people over the age of 40. The stats get even higher for those 85 and older and the likelihood of falls, while the likelihood of falls, sorry, increases with age, um, they're also the most frequent cause of traumatic brain injury hospitalizations and ER visits for children under the age of 5. November is Fall Prevention Month and my guests today are Cassandra Stockley, Coordinator of Programs and Services with the Brain Injury Association. Hello, Cassandra. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. And Nick Mercer, he's the host of a podcast called Concussion Talk. Hi, Nick. Hi, thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us. So, Cassandra, let's uh, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about the Brain Injury Association and what it does. Yeah, so Newfoundland and Labrador Brain Injury Association is a local nonprofit. We actually have an office located here in St. John's. However, we do service the entire province. And we provide different programs, supports, education about brain injury to brain injury survivors, their families, as well as the general population as well. Any idea how many people are living with a brain injury here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Unfortunately, there's not really any accurate statistics regarding brain injury in Newfoundland and Labrador, or even really brain injury in general. We actually extrapolate data from the United States based off Canadian population. However, it's estimated that about 2% of the population in Canada lives with a traumatic brain injury and that there are 18,000 hospitalizations for traumatic brain injury each year, and that's just hospitalizations. What's the most common cause of a traumatic brain injury? Yeah, so that varies throughout the lifespan. Falls are very, very common in the younger and as well as the older populations. However, motor vehicle accidents and um, sports injuries are also very common causes. And I imagine that there are, you know, things like complications from birth and those kinds of things where there's a, a disruption of oxygen, I would imagine. Yes, of course. Um, A lack of oxygen, which is hypoxia, or um, no oxygen at all, which is anoxia, uh, leads to brain damage, especially the longer you go without oxygen. Typically, what uh, what type of brain injuries do do we see regularly? Is it is it the ones from sport injury or or, um, falls? Yeah, we do see a lot of uh, brain injuries due to falls in the older populations, especially, um, as you said in your preamble there, um, 40 and up is a very um, common occurrence to see falls as one of the leading causes. Um, younger than 40, uh, specifically ages 5 to uh, 19, um, concussions due to sporting injuries and recreational activities are actually very common as well. And um, 
sorry, I lost track. <laughs> Because no uh, uh, it can be like that sometimes. So uh, I'll, I'll bring Nick into the conversation now. You, you host a podcast called Concussion Talk, and I understand yep. you suffered a concussion yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I had a severe brain injury in 2003. I was in Victoria, B.C., doing a master's degree, and I was uh, riding a bike. I was training, training with the triathlon team at the time. Well, not at the time of the accident, but at the time I was in B.C., and uh, and the eye and I saw a window was going down the road. I forget the date. Today is a total, total blank for me because I ended up in a coma at the end of the accident. When I hit, as far as I started off the road, hit a tree and hit a tree. And I was in a coma for two weeks in hospital for six weeks in BC, then another month here, and then five months inpatient rehab at the Miller Center. And then 18 months out of his rehab, and then more, and then I finished school, finishing my master's degree, then more rehab and work, and uh, then work and just exercise, and and I came back here to work for a bit, and I still just doing exercise to keep keep in shape and try to and try to improve my stability and all that stuff, and uh, doing a podcast since I came back here in 2010, so uh, I was working in Ottawa. I should say that for three years, from 07 to 2010, and uh, I came back here and I started to start by pop my my blog for five years, and then a podcast. So I've been the podcast since 2015. 2015. So you suffered a traumatic brain injury. This is this was yeah. life altering. Yeah, well, I said concussions are traumatic brain injuries. Just of the lower, like I started, I started to suffer a severe traumatic brain injury, which is. They they get them based on hospitalization and stuff. There's no actual real categorization for as uh, severe brain injuries based on just like looking at someone saying one one two three four five or mild moderate severe. Just based on whether you need certain surgical 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 or surgical intervention or if you need uh, some some other help. And uh, that's based on of course I in the coma which you automatically as severe. Brain injury because that was definitely life threatening, and uh, and life altering because I was in I was in you know, really good shape then, and uh, I'm unable to do a lot of stuff I can I used to do now. So, but it's still, I mean, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, but yeah, the concussions, the concussions are, themselves are traumatic brain injuries. So, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about your ongoing journey uh, when we come back after the break. Our guests today yeah. on On Target are Cassandra Stockley, Coordinator of Programs and Services with the Brain Injury Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, and Nick Mercer. He's the host of a podcast called Concussion Talk. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. We're talking about brain injuries today. This is uh, fall prevention month, and uh, brain uh, uh, falls are one of the leading causes of um, hospitalizations, ER visits, and uh, brain injury-related deaths in, uh, well, right across North America, I would imagine. So our guests today are Cassandra Stockley, Coordinator of Programs and Services with the Brain Injury Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, and Nick Mercer, host of a podcast called Concussion Talk. And um, Cassandra, before we head back to... um, 
uh, Nick to talk a little bit more about his own personal journey. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, concussion and concussive injuries? Yeah, so concussion is actually a form of mild traumatic brain injury, but that's not to say that the effects of concussion aren't severe because they can. Um, they, they vary from person to person, but there's physical symptoms such as headache, dizziness, nausea, sensitivity to light and noise, among other things, but you also have cognitive symptoms, which would be trouble focusing or remembering, feeling emotional or moody, confusion, among other things as well. And, you know, you just hit the nail on the head there, so to speak, um, uh, because I suffered a concussion, didn't know I suffered concussion, knew I had a bad bang and uh, saw, you know, the big bang lights and bad headache and that for lingering for a few days, but never thought much of it until about two weeks later. And I realized that I... At my job, I'm always writing sentences and putting words together, and the words just weren't coming. I couldn't put them in the right order to make a sentence, and I started to get very confused. And I remember just sitting there at one point and starting to cry, and I said, I got something done. There's something bigger happening here. Went to the hospital, found out I, in fact, had suffered a concussion. But it was two weeks until I figured that out. Yeah, unfortunately, that's very common uh, due to a lack of just general awareness of what exactly symptoms may entail. But also some of those symptoms might not kick in right away. They might kick in a few days later or so, so you might not even know right away. Yeah, and it's, a, it's kind of insidious. Is that what makes, I guess, uh, concussion, the, the effects of concussion so serious? Is that sometimes people can have this kind of a, a brain injury and not even be aware? For sure. That definitely plays a role in it, for sure. Um, concussion, a lot of people just think, oh, I just hit my head. It might be a minor concussion. That's no big deal. But concussion, if it's not treated right away, uh, can very much be a big deal. And you may have symptoms for months or even years. How is concussion typically treated? So generally in the first uh, 24 to 48 hours, you want to rest and get as much sleep as possible. But then after that, you kind of just want to move back into some light activity um, and you kind of work your way up in consultation with a doctor uh, through different daily tasks. And you gradually would work your way back up to things like work and school and uh, sports. And uh, one of the things I was told is, is try not to spend too much time focusing, uh, try to avoid watching television or looking at a computer screen or even a phone for that matter. Um, and I can remember at one point uh, uh, being in a doctor's office and looking down and there was a pattern on the carpet and the pattern was almost like it was buzzing or humming or making a sound. It was really too much for me to like the the pattern was was disturbing me so much is that common yeah that's very common a lot of things can be overstimulating especially when your brain is hurt as it would be in a concussion so things like noise or different visual things like light or patterns can definitely be overwhelming so, Nick, I want to bring you back into the conversation because you were a very active guy. You were obviously cycling and doing all kinds of um, uh, high-impact kind of uh, sports. You ended up in a coma uh, for at least two weeks and then a long recovery after that. Did you understand coming out of the coma what had happened? I understood very little coming out of the coma. I just, I mean, I was still, like, uh, cognitively, cognitively, I was... It was fine, I fine, but it was okay. But I just was 
delusional. Didn't really know what. Didn't even didn't even know what a brain injury was at the time. Really, I mean, I knew what it was. Not you know, except I lived life. It was twenty. It was twenty three when it happened. So I knew what a brain injury was, but I didn't really didn't know what to expect. Didn't know how long it would take to recover. I thought I'd be in hospital or in rehab for like a few months and be fine, then be back to running and playing. I used to play, used to play water polo a lot. Water polo was my main sport. I just started rest on seven months before my seven months before before my injury, and uh, yeah, so I was looking forward to getting back to that and getting back to Victoria, BC, and my well, work time a lot. Go back to my friends in Ontario. So I went to I went to University of Ontario, and uh, and yeah, getting back to my friends here. Just just normal stuff. Just playing playing basketball, playing water polo. Cycling, triathlon, whatever, but I didn't really know what was going on to say. Like, I, I thought, again, I thought it'd be over, over quickly, but it has not worked out of the way at all. And I, I've learned a lot by just by being involved with the Branch Association and by doing my own my blog, my podcast, and by having explained to others why I'm still injured, why I'm still. It's not severely, but I'm still obviously quite. I have challenges that are, you know, hindering my 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 expected lifestyle. How many years since you suffered your injury? Uh, it's been 19 years since 2003, so it was in 19 years. And uh, yeah, and I I did work now. I did work for grand total of about four and a half years, more than four and a half years. Like, Almost five years, and uh, but that was just you know, I think it was just too much. And really, like just going to a place, sitting down, and I had to focus. And although I didn't have a concussion, uh, my my brain injury is still still brain injury, and still had like the symptoms of a concussion. Is and like still noise and light. And uh, where I did, I did, uh, and you know, did use them a lot, get involved with the activities that were. Nor, nor normal a lot like it was uh, like going to you know going to bars and going to which was, was a mistake because my mouth is not good now and uh and noise the noise of the concerts or just noise and lights and stuff it was uh, challenging both in in life and at work so I learned a lot that way. So you mentioned your balance. So this obviously yeah. affected your muscle and and um, movement coordination. That's kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. On my left, my left side. That's why my speech is. Uh, I have help with my speech because my my it's my tongue, my mouth muscles are a bit, bit obviously slower to respond. I'm coordinated, and my balance on my left side, my left my left side is kind of like I had a stroke. Kind of like that, but not entirely. But uh, sort of like a stroke. So, uh, what's that been like now? This nineteen years. Do you see a steady improvement? Do you get frustrated from time to time? Oh, I well, I I, I saw a improvement. I was you know sooner after immediately immediately after I thought to improve and most you can you get get back to your thing, get back there soon after your brain your brain is still healing, but. I still still do some improvements now. I still work. I still swim, but do yoga. Um, I walk a lot. Um, but I'm, I used to get very frustrated, but you know, just after and even probably like five years ago. But I've, 
I've just realized that, I mean, even now I've realized that's just like, that's just, it's been a, no point taking it properly because it's scrums are partly very, very philosophical and meditating and stuff, and I kind of just realize that it's, it's just part of life. It's just, it's just part of my life, and it's, it's just, and it wouldn't be, my life be weird if it wasn't like this. It'd be, cause it wouldn't be the life I know now. It's like, I mean, they just, generally, it be just different, it's just the whole life. So I uh, first uh, the mumbling now because I don't really not respond to they're that reply that well. But it's the answer basically is no. I don't. I don't get not anymore. I used to get frustrated a lot, but not, not anymore because I'm now more accepting of life, accepting of and this accepting sounds such a bad connotation. It sounds people think accepting means you've given up, but it's not like that at all. It's a uh, it's, it's, it's kind of powerful, actually. So, do yeah. you live independently, or do you require a little bit of help in certain uh, tasks? Uh, no, I, I live independently. But I, I live near my mother, and I do need. I can't drive, and I'm working on that. Hopefully, hopefully, if the uh, new plan of the Alberta government is motor motor vehicle division is listening, I'm the, hopefully you can hear from them soon about getting back and buying my license back because I've also double vision, and uh, but. That's looking nice in years of living with that has been that's a, the main challenge for me because I think it affects the mountain bounce a lot. But uh, so I need help, you know, driving. And I do live near my mother, so she 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 cooks a lot of meals, and I, I only I cook my own meals too. But since I had another, I I, I got pretty uh, very bad brand of cancer, you know, five years ago. I almost five years ago now, so uh, and that so that and after that I needed to, needed some more help because I couldn't really do much with my brain tree and with cancer and other uh, things. So just just I don't need any help first day like for, for day to day living. Like, I, mean, I live alone. Yes, I live in Bentley, but I I, I it does make it does I, like we're not being able to drive in St. John's is very detrimental. So. Yeah, very difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that and uh, about uh, your podcast when we come back. And we're going to speak, of course, uh, more with Cassandra when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target, uh, this is Fall Injury Prevention Month. And uh, we're talking to uh, members of the Brain Injury Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, Cassandra Stockley and Nick Mercer, host of the podcast Concussion Talk. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. My guests today are with the Brain Injury Association. November is Fall Prevention Month. Uh, Cassandra Stockley is Coordinator of Programs and Services with the Brain Injury Association. And Nick Mercer is the host of a podcast called Concussion Talk. And Cassandra, winter is coming. We saw that snow flying here in the metro area today. And uh, that can make things pretty slippery underfoot. And it all of a sudden brings to everyone's attention just how um, possible slips and falls can be. How can we prevent slips and falls? Yeah, that's definitely very relevant in the winter months, especially. We want to make sure that we're shoveling our walkways and driveways using salt to prevent slipping on ice. But there's other things you can do year round, like staying physically active, getting your eyes and ears checked, using an assistive device if you need help walking, and getting a physical or occupational therapist to teach you the appropriate way in which to use it. 
You also want to make sure that your floors, stairways, and pathways are clear of obstructions and use a bath or shower mat to prevent slipping. And proper footwear. I've noticed that myself. Uh, I've got a pair of shoes that are quite um, uh, smooth on the bottom. And boy, when I'm wearing those, I have to be really careful. Yeah, for sure. And there's actually uh, spikes you can buy from stores to put on the bottom of your footwear um, that will help you get a little bit more grip in the winter time. So that may be something of use to people who are looking for a little bit of extra grip there. What about around the house or uh, in the workplace? Do you uh, guys work with any uh, groups uh, in in helping, uh, you know, workplaces or or people living alone um, be more aware about slips and falls? Yeah, we're definitely a resource. So um, whether it be groups or individuals, they can always come to us and um, ask us and we can help point you to the proper resources and ensure that you're uh, ready. And um, what are some of the typical things to watch out for, especially at home or or in the workplace when it comes to preventing uh, falls? Yeah, so you want to make sure that there's sufficient lighting in your house, especially in stairways. Same thing goes for workplaces. Um, If there is uh, inclement weather, especially in the upcoming months, Uh, If there's a floor that's wet, you want to ensure that you have a sign there so people are aware of that and um, they're able to take the proper caution. There's just really a variety of things that you can do to help increase your chances of um, staying safe and preventing those falls. Now, slip or fall was not uh, the situation that you were facing, Nick. You had uh, a fairly traumatic uh, sports injury uh, that you're still recovering from. Um, Are sporting groups more aware now of the dangers of of traumatic brain injury and concussion? They're more more aware, but it does take a long time for the culture to accept that the brain injury, for example, or something that's very important because you can't most most sports leagues now they're in no fault of their own, but they they see like a broken bone or broken arm, broken leg, and they can understand that they go oh, yeah, you can see the bone broken, bone the bone is broken on the X-ray, or you can see some compound fractures, you can see some nastier, but concussion is on the obviously we talk as you talked before. You can see it only may not notice for, like you said, like two weeks. And uh, it may not even come up, and all, then all of a sudden it's really bad news. But uh, so, I mean, you've seen yeah, the NFL, especially, is the one that really gets the attention in North America. But in, uh, but, and it's doing some stuff. People in the will always just say there's not, not enough because it's not, not enough in an absolute sense. But in terms of they're you know they're they're trying to doing something, they're mean to beat they may have their other issue other things to deal with that they're, they're trying to gain gain their attention and stuff and gain keep their fans things things like that which was a scare for a minute but uh they're they're doing something they're doing they're doing something but maybe not enough and same with the NHL and uh, and no and I know in like in Europe and frankly the rest of the world in soccer. There's a lot of attention paid to it in rugby, a lot of attention paid to concussions and how people are being touched. Nick, most of the world in Europe, in North America at least, we're a bit more aware of it thanks to sports like hockey and football, which you can see people deliberately hitting others. You can see that 
you can see the impacts and people like a lot of the impacts of the of a you getting getting a checker you know something uh so in that but in the in sports like soccer and rugby is again a sport sport but still you see it's it's uh not as much attention paid to getting banged around like boomers quarry giving being given to people who get banged up or or who bang people up like so it's they're taking a bit more attention across all sports now, but I think in North America we're kind of lucky. To, not lucky, but that's a weird way, way of putting it. But uh, that we had sports the NHL and, and like hockey and football, which are very obviously collision sports. So they kind of made it more apparent here that concussion, concussion is a big deal. Yeah, and sport has changed so dramatically, hasn't it? I mean, uh, it yeah. wasn't that long ago it was very common to see NHL games with everybody's hair flying in the wind, <laughs> you know, exactly. and nothing on their heads, and there's still yeah. as high contact. The sport was just as high contact back then as it is now. It, it really is oh, yeah. in, interesting to see that transformation. And, and even on a recreational level, uh, ice surfaces, I mean, they will not let you on an ice surface if you do not have a helmet on. No, and that's uh, that, that that's important because not helmet helmet is not gonna helmet will not prevent a concussion. It will prevent a head a fracture of your skull, so you don't bleed. That's the point of them. So, like if I I was wearing a helmet when I when I crashed on the bike and if I wasn't, I'd be dead. But uh, the the helmet didn't prevent my coma or my cardiac. If the left you're going to loss if you're just skating, wouldn't prevent a concussion because it's so because the, the the concussion is your brain moving inside your skull so it's just a sudden stop whether now you get hit in the head or not it's just your head your head your movement is going forward and you stop then your brain keeps going forward because it's in the it's in the center can tell you even with more detail in the end like a jelly gelatin surface kind of the surface enclosures kind of it's it's free more or less inside your skull there's a bit of cushion from the from the jelly-like structure that's around it, but uh, but yeah, but they but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the ice slipping and falling, of course, is not is not good. Like whether or not it prevents a helmet prevents a brain injury or not. So like, if you don't fall, you won't won't need to worry about being a brain injury. When you wear a concussion or a coma, and that because because you don't fall. But if it's so, it's more important. Balance is more important than than. Uh, than necessarily than those so I'll stop there you mentioned that you were wearing a helmet when you had your um, accident and uh, were were helmets common at at the time oh yeah in in cycling I was was a cycling right so everyone I mean you didn't want to buy a helmet so people say to me oh you're so lucky we had a helmet on but that's the only one I came back here when the man, when I was in BC, it was never an issue. It was like just assumed you'd be, you'd be wearing a helmet. Like it was unheard of to not wear a helmet, and especially when you're doing a triathlon team, it was unheard of to not wear a helmet. So it was never an issue. Never be, being lucky as wearing a helmet. It was just you had to wear a helmet. It was like it was just part of the part of what you put on. Like you put on your shoes, you put on your helmet. You put on your your shorts, you put on your helmet. Like it's like it's just it's automatic. So, it was, but I mean, if I wasn't wearing one. I'd be dead. So, it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty stark reminder that you do you should wear a helmet at all times. And doing sports, you could 
good cause if that's where damage does it bother you to see people still from time to time especially youngsters or or the like uh, going around without a helmet on uh, i used to be used to actually like bothering bothering me but it doesn't bother me as much now so i know like there's a lot of like, i know the people here like but like it's people like yeah you know, so i always want to get around and but they can afford up they they can borrow or get a bit of bike from somebody or some people that can like afford that the thing they can't afford now so you know, obviously where they're well worth the while to buy to spend your money on buying a helmet. So affording is not really as much of a problem as I as people think, but if you want to get around but it does it's 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 kind of it's uh and it's not necessarily ignorance on their part. It's just I, I'm I'm more pleased to be angry at the person, but I'm not good to thinking in my head I'm being yelled or anything like that. But I just think I think how this person how stupid that now we're helmet. But now I think that's more just there's not enough information information out there to teach people to show people that they do need 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 to wear a helmet. Not not maybe should or not. It's a good idea to wear a helmet or anything like that. It's, you kind of need to, so it's you need you need to have that one on your head. So that's that's more of an issue of society, and and uh, hopefully, well, groups group like like groups like ours can teach people that helmet um, is well worth. Definitely something you should be doing at all times. You're in, when you're doing sports like cycling or hockey or football or whatever. I know there's no football here, but you know. Oh no, there's a little bit of football here. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not the not the high no. impact one, but it. No, it, no, no. Yeah. yeah, but uh, we we do have a little bit of a growing football yeah. um, uh, society yeah. here. Um, yeah. Our guests today on On Target are Cassandra Stockley, coordinator of programs and services with the Brain Injury Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, and Nick Mercer is host of a podcast called Concussion Talk. And when we come back, uh, Cassandra, I want to talk to you a little bit about the healthcare system and how um, uh, people who suffer traumatic brain injury are, uh, um, I suppose, cared for within the system. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about Nick's podcast when we come back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And our guest today on this uh, November is um, Fall Prevention Month. And my guests today are with the Brain Injury Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, Cassandra Stockley's Coordinator of Programs and Services. Nick Mercer is the host of a podcast called Concussion Talk. And Cassandra, I wanted to ask you about the impact of, of falls and, and um, traumatic brain injury on the healthcare system as a whole. Yeah, so the healthcare system as a whole uh, is definitely very taxed at the moment, and falls and brain injuries definitely add to that. And unfortunately, a lot of times, a lot of brain injury survivors end up slipping through the cracks because there's just so many of them, and unfortunately, not quite enough resources to uh, reach all of them. I was going to ask you that. Are are neurologists uh, the typical go-to for traumatic brain injury, or are there other specialists involved as well? Yeah, so there's usually an interdisciplinary team, depending on different symptoms. They all kind of work together, but a neurologist is definitely up there, as well as physical therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, speech-language pathologists. The list really goes on and on because the brain controls so many different things. You can have a very wide variety of different symptoms. 
Right, including, uh, you know, motor neuron and, and movement and all of those things. So they have a wide range of professionals there. So we have heard, as you just indicated, uh, a lot about some of the challenges in the healthcare system. How are we doing when it comes to access to some of these specialists? Unfortunately, a lot of individuals aren't necessarily able to get access to some of these specialists. And if they are, they're waiting a very long time. And with brain injury, uh, there's critical periods in recovery. You want to get that um, access to that specialist uh, pretty early on. You don't want to have to wait for a year or two. You want to get that as soon as possible because once you hit a certain point, the first like six months of your injury, uh, that's probably where you're going to see the most uh, recovery. Like you're going to see recovery throughout. However, it's going to happen a bit quicker, a bit earlier on. So time is of the essence. Yes, of course. Um, and are people uh, able to get the care that they need within those those critical windows, timeframes? Uh, not always, unfortunately. Our main rehabilitation hospital in province is a Miller Center. However, there's not really much else like the Miller Center in the province. So a lot of individuals with more, um, I guess, severe brain injuries end up having to come into St. John's. And obviously, the Miller Center is only one facility, so they're only able to handle a certain caseload. And that'll disrupt your life if you're from Labrador or Corner Brook or St. Anthony and you've got to come in here uh, to get that, uh, that help and therapy that you need, that will really um, affect how you live. Oh, definitely, 100%. And uh, family and caregivers are also very important um, pieces of the recovery process. So you might not be able to have family or friends or anyone come with you if you're coming from Labrador. You might be sent in on your own, and then you have less people as part of your support team, which can definitely be detrimental for sure. Does the Brain Injury Association uh, do advocacy work? Do you, you speak with government on a regular basis about some of these concerns? Yeah, for sure. We definitely do what we can to advocate for our brain injury survivors and um, make sure that they have access to proper supports and what they need to help with their recovery. And in terms of the programs, you mentioned that off the top, but what kind of programs do you, uh, uh, do you provide or do you um, connect people to? Yeah, so we actually, one of our main programs that we do provide is our ABLE program, which is a support and recreational group for brain injury survivors. We hold it actually on Thursday afternoons from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. in our office, and we'll have a group of brain injury survivors come in, and they'll um, have a chance to socialize because um, often you don't get a chance to socialize with your peers. Brain injury is very isolating. So it gives them the opportunity to do that, as well as participate in recreational activities such as crafts or music or bingo or other things like that. And we'll also do our best to help individuals navigate the system and determine what kind of services may be useful to them or their family members, um, services that will help them in the rehabilitation process or just different supports that they could get into their home. And we'll also um, provide education surrounding brain injury um, to anybody who would like any type of education. It doesn't matter if you have a brain injury or not. Um, it's nice to have a knowledge of the general public as well as individuals involved with brain injury because you never know when a brain injury is going to happen or if it will happen. 
You mentioned something there that really struck me. You said brain injury is very isolating. What typically is is the experience of somebody who's had a brain injury, and how does it become isolating? Yeah, so brain injury survivors often depend on others to um, help them. However, if they don't have family members or friends who are able to help them, they might be able to have avail of home care but that's only for a certain amount of hours a week so a lot of times they're kind of left on their own living by themselves and they're not always able to get out into the community and participate to the fullest. Nick was uh, any of that your experience Uh, you say you live independently but uh, you know through the course of your recovery did you find periods when you felt a bit isolated? I, I did. I sure definitely did. I was saying, like, I mean, because getting out of the course, you can't drive or when you can't be balanced out well, it's challenging. And uh, also, when if you if you have trouble with, like, loud noise or lights or you find that, yeah, do we do get uh, one of the other symptoms of the brain disease that you use fatigue, especially early on, and you get, and that you get tired very quickly and, and are just and just just in general, your day is shorter. You know, it takes a lot of energy to do, even just basic things. It takes a lot of a lot of, lot of energy to get sapped up all the sorts of energy. So getting out is was definitely harder. Of course, I was I was lucky that my friends are so great here, and and way and uh, but, but uh, but uh, but uh, but I was gonna say when I was here, but early on I was very busy with my rehab and I had a bunch of really good friends who I saw a lot of and uh, so that was good my family of course is very very close but uh, when I was in Ottawa working that was that was definitely I had friends there from me from, from, from university but I didn't see them as much and because of course we were all working age then and I found that very that was very difficult but that was that was more but maybe maybe more of where I was but where I was is also a place I can really get out and and do much and meet new people and meet meet just as you would if you were not when I was like I said I was twenty three years nature so I couldn't do normal things but twenty you whoever three and up year old twenty twenty to thirty year old twenty to forty two year old now but I can really get out and meet people like the way that everybody else does and uh, that was that was definitely isolating and challenging. So, uh, Nick, we have just over a minute left. We're, we're up to the end of the show already. Hard to imagine. It's yeah, gone very quickly. Yeah. But uh, so you have this podcast. You've decided to channel some of the information that you have to help out others. Yeah. Where can people yeah. find it? Uh, concussiontalk.com is the website, and that has links to my YouTube and all my done like Apple and Google and Spotify and Amazon and wherever else, Acast. So all sorts wherever you fish or wherever you wherever you podcast is where my podcast is. But uh yeah, so I I've I've done hundred and thirty seven episodes so far and uh hundred thirty seven, hundred and thirty six plus other other individual ones. Like about my two thousand two bike trip across Canada, which I talk about in uh sixty six uh separate episodes. But also I mostly speak with uh all my all my pockets are infused with uh, other brain injury experts. So not other and say other like I am, but I'm not. But I'm not. But uh, brain injury experts, brain injury experts, they enthusiast therapists and doctors, researchers. So 
that's what I talk to every every episode. I've done 136 now, so it's been great. Fascinating stuff. Well, uh, Nick, I'm so happy that you were able to join us and Cassandra uh, to talk a little bit about this very important issue, uh, brain injury. The Brain Injury Association Coordinator Programs and Services, Cassandra Stockley and Nick Mercer, host of the podcast called Concussion Talk. You can find it at concussiontalk.ca. Thanks so much, both of you. Thank you so much. That's great. And we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to speak with uh, Derek Butler, who is uh, stepping down from the Association of Seafood Producers. That will be an interesting chat, no doubt. Join us then. Thanks for listening.